This episode of The Shalene Show is sponsored by Focus Formula. It is the online course. It's only $25, which teaches you the strategies and hacks, the way that you can structure your day, prioritize the things that are important in your life, get more done in less time. To learn more about the Focus Formula, go to focusformulacourse.com. Welcome to The Shaleen Show. Today I have the co-host, my co-host on Build Your Tribe. Me, her son, Brock Johnson. And we're going to do an episode very similar to the episode that his sister, Sierra, did with my husband, Brett. In that episode, Brett shared five things that he intentionally wanted to impart onto Sierra as her father in their father-daughter relationship, like five things he did intentionally. And then Sierra shared five things that she appreciated or that kind of made a difference in the way that he parented. And now we're going to do the mother-son version of that. Brock, are you ready? I am ready. Super ready. Super ready. Born ready. (laughs) Raised ready by you, my mom. Oh, boy. Welcome to The Shalene Show. Shalene is a New York Times bestselling author, celebrity fitness trainer, and obsessed with helping you live your dream life. All right, I will go first. Okay. One thing that I tried to teach you from a very early age was that you could solve problems, like anytime you were stressed, that you needed to take pen to paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely noticed that, and that was one that I kind of touched on in one of my five most impactful things that I can recall. All right. What was that? And this is a little bit of a result of what I noticed. And it was that you were very non-judgmental and like accepting of whatever I would come to you with or whatever I was going through. And because you really heard me, you didn't just like listen Mm -hmm. to the things I was saying. Like when I came to you and I had a problem, you heard me and actually what I was going through that allowed you to be able to both comfort me and then sometimes give me advice. And then the one piece of advice that maybe stands out more than anything, specifically when I was growing up and I was feeling overwhelmed and I would come to you and be like, oh, everything is stressing me out or everything is going wrong or just everything is making me anxious. You'd be like, okay, well, let's take pen to paper and let's write down what quote unquote everything is. And I would figure out, well, it was like two pieces of homework and the fact that I had a football game that week or whatever it was. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that allowed me to like simplify and better deal with whatever I was anxious about it and approach it in a much more rational sense. Good one. Yeah. I can see how you're saying that kind of like it came around to writing things down. Do you still do that? Like you still... I mean, I know that you do in terms of business. Yeah, yeah. Everything is written down. And now I I never get to the place, or I rarely, I should say, get to the place where everything is stressing me out because I know that if, quote unquote, everything is stressing me out, then I can just write it down and it's usually like four or five things. And instead, we're all used that. Sometimes it's like one thing. Yeah. You feel so overwhelmed and then you put it all on paper and you're like, but actually just this one thing went away, I'd feel better. Absolutely. And so now I would say I use that advice more so in advising other people when like a friend or someone comes to me and they're like, oh, dude, I'm just freaking out. I got so much to do, so much stress, so much work to do. I'm like, all right, well, like, let's just pause for a second and write down what all this stuff is. And yeah, Mm -hmm. it's just like a couple things and like one major thing that we got to get done. Mm. I recognize that dad had a lot of like really cool things that he was going to impart to both you and Sierra, specifically, you know, your athleticism, your confidence, your, you know, physical confidence. 
sports, training. I knew those kinds of things you would definitely pick up from your dad and his family influence. But there are things that I also wanted to make sure you kind of carried on the legacy from my side of the family. Mm. And one of those was teaching. Mm. Like I consider myself a teacher. I knew my dad was a teacher. Like he always taught people how to do things. I love learning complicated things and then teaching them. And from a really young age, I saw that your brain worked that way too. Mm. So I would encourage you to be a teacher from first grade. Which grade did you do twice? Kindergarten. Kindergarten, you did twice. Well, the second year of kindergarten, we had a parent-teacher conference, and I knew that maybe I'd taken it too far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, as soon as you started <laughs> talking about this being a teacher thing, this is the story that popped into my head, <laughs> where I've heard the story so many times that at the parent-teacher conference, the teacher, who was such a sweet lady, was like, you know, Brock is... He's really great in class and he's got a lot of friends and he's really, you know, talkative and he wants to help all of the other students. But sometimes he will try to become the teacher and do my job. So, like, I would, like, stand up in front yes. of the class and be like, yes. OK, like, thank you for explaining this to us, but like a better way. Yes, yeah, you said <laughs> that you would you would literally stand up and correct her and say, thank you, Frau Diane. But I think another way that we could do this and you would, like, teach <laughs> like the way you did the little math problem, whatever math problem you do in kindergarten or whatever. And you'd show people another way of doing it. And she was like. Yeah, it's really cute. I don't want to discourage him, but but I'm the teacher and he needs to sit down. Yeah. But so you would start teaching things really early. Like you would teach people how to make, do you remember duct tape wallets? You would oh, make yeah. wallets out of duct tape or, and you would, everything we gave you or, you know, presents, gifts, things that you owned, you would take them apart, remake them, change the colors, mm-hmm. paint them create these strange inventions and then you would teach other people how to do it. Not that anybody was necessarily doing that, but, and I, I loved seeing that because I knew how much that helped me as a student to learn to teach things back. And so that was intentional. I didn't write that down definitely as one of mine, but thinking back, that was absolutely huge. And I can see that from a very young age. I didn't know that that was intentional though. And that was something that I never thought of. And especially the fact that you being thoughtful and the fact that you knew so much would be passed down from dad's side that mm-hmm. you wanted to pass that down from your side. I never had thought about that. Mm. That makes total sense. It's my turn. Okay. So you really encouraged my freedom to pursue my passions. Mm-hmm. And that was more than just sports, but, you know, in my quote unquote businesses that I ran when I was little, which none of them lasted for more than a month or two or inventions that I had or when I wanted to be an architect or, mm-hmm. you know, when I did Taekwondo for a couple months or, you know, there's just so many different things that I did. And you were always very encouraging of like, is that what you want to do? Is this, you know, do you want to go on to first grade? Do you want to do second or do kindergarten again? Do you want to play on this team? Do you want to play this sport? Do you want to try this thing? So you were very, very encouraging of my freedom to like express myself and do artistic things and do athletic things and dance. And it was always just like, whatever I wanted, if I was passionate about it, you would really promote and encourage me to follow that. Mm, That's good. Yeah. I put on mine. One of the things that I intentionally did was I wanted to foster self-sufficiency and also empower you to know, like you could do it, you could figure it out. And it didn't matter what it was. It would be cool it was okay with us. And so we would try to foster those things. So examples. Oh, like using social media. 
you know, you wanted to use social media from a really young age, like most kids did. And I said, that's totally cool, as long as there's an intention behind it. Like, you need to have a purpose. And so you would present to us, like, okay, so I want to use YouTube. We should, oh, we should link to Brock Shots. Oh, we need to link to Brock Shots. Yeah, this is awesome. So when he was little and he wanted to have a YouTube channel, I'm like, okay, what is it going to be? What's the purpose? What are you trying to do? And he's like, well, I just want to teach people how to have fun and be active by loading he and his sister and all of his friends for what like two summers three about summers two summers in a row yeah created this youtube channel we'll link to it because it is hysterical and it was called brock shots mm-hmm. and he <clears throat> would make these crazy basketball shots from like rooftops and in costumes and i says as long as you're you know using social media with an intention that's positive i love it and it fostered creativity and mm-hmm. eventually you started using twitter and that was one of your first business. I always say businesses, but it's like, it's not really it wasn't a business per se. It was one of the first things you did to make money online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd be a better way to put it. And even before YouTube, there was my blog that I had when I was like, have you 10. checked to see if it's still it up? Is, it is still up. What's it called? It's, I believe, brockrocks.blogspot.com. <laughs> I'll, we we'll put the, yeah, we'll find it and put the link in the, what? In the description. I, don't even re- I remember that, but I don't remember what you blogged about. <laughs> it was literally, it's the funniest thing to look back at because every blog had three comments. One was by you, one was by Janelle Summers, and one was by a third account Monica. that I had made for my dog. Oh. And I, my dog would comment on my own blog. Oh, perfect. And all the blog posts were just, you know, like, here's what I did today or mm-hmm. here's some funny story I have to tell. Lots of typos and just hilarious. But like, of course, it was like all moderated by you. And mm-hmm. the only people who ever saw it was like our family, you know, but just the getting used to being online and sharing things and telling stories and having people engage with it was, that was something from a very young age. Yeah. That's awesome. <clears throat> and kind of in that same vein, the one that I wrote down, I think it's similar, but the way I thought of it as a parent is, that I wanted both you and Sierra to have that artistic side. Mm -hmm. So we did a lot, a ton. We painted, we made things, we drew things, we designed things. Had you both do dance. I mean, you didn't take dance lessons per se, but we always dancing. Oh, you're a great dancer. Still am a great dancer. But yeah, no. And (laughs) I really, really do appreciate that. And even talking to some of my best friends today, like I was talking to one of my best friends like a week ago and I was like, what's your creative outlet? Like, I feel like everyone needs some kind of a creative outlet, even if you're not, you know, the most creative traditional person, you know, with like painting or drawing. Artistic Artistic person, uh yeah. uh You still need a creative outlet, whether that's, you know, even just listening to music or or just experiencing a great movie or, you know, something like that to me is still somewhat creative. Like people need their creative outlet. And so I was kind of bummed out a little bit to hear some of my friends when asking them that question, be like, yeah, you know, I don't think I really have one. Like, I don't really do anything like that. And for me, it feels so fulfilling and it feels so like meditative and so like healing and and it just makes me feel so grounded and so happy to do something creative, whether and luckily because we did so many different creative things from young ages, I have developed skills in like painting or drawing or design. Yeah, that's one of the things that we would do. We had you know, an art night and we would get these big giant canvases and you can't be on your phone and you can't be glued to a TV or doing technology and paint at the same time. So we would do music. Mm-hmm. We always played tons of music, loud music, and we would dance and we would paint and create. 
we would listen to music. We didn't really. What did I say? You said, well, you said we played music. Oh, I think that yeah. might give people the impression <laughs> that we played instruments. That is the one artistic, creative thing that I have no inclination for. Yeah, that's good. And that's playing instruments. But yeah, going back a little bit was I really appreciated how you always encouraged us to talk to adults and to be independent. And like a specific example would be, you know, if we were at a restaurant, you weren't ordering for us. We were going to right. order. And if, you know, we wanted a plain cheeseburger, we were going to have to order it the way we wanted it. It wouldn't be just like cheeseburger mm-hmm. and then have the parent interrupt and be like, oh, he doesn't want any of this on end. You know, speak up, sweetie. But it was just encouraging us to be independent. And if we wanted something to be able to go talk to adults and not seeing ourselves as less than adults, like still having respect, but not seeing ourselves as inferior or or like that our voices and our opinion didn't matter. Or incapable. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And you guys would resist it sometimes. You know, I can't go to practice. So will you call my coach and tell them I have a doctor's appointment? I would say, no, you can call your coach. It's fine. You can do it. And, and so sometimes you guys would not want to, but I always knew even as adults, you have to sometimes make telephone calls. You don't feel like making you still have to do it. And it's far less painful once you do it. Let's get back to music for a second because it just made me think about a question I get all the time Mm -hmm. about rap music, right? Mm -hmm. So (laughs) I love rap music. I love all kinds of music. So I really tried to expose you guys and talk to you about bands and artists and eras of music. And I love music. But rap music is loaded with really inappropriate, explicit lyrics. And I had friends who were like, oh my gosh, please, Shaleen, when they're in your car, don't play that music. I can't believe you play that music around your kids. But I did. I mean, I would tell you guys what you could and couldn't say and what words you couldn't sing. Mm-hmm. So how, what is your impression of that? Yeah. So first of all, something that I've heard you say before You wouldn't call them bad words Mm -hmm. because then we would associate the people using them as bad people. You'd call Mm -hmm. them adult words. Mm -hmm. And so even though you might think, oh, well, doesn't a kid want to be an adult? Sure. But if they respect the rules and the the fact that they're not an adult yet, then they can't use those adult words. And when we're an adult, we can choose to use those words if we want Mm -hmm. to. But, Mm -hmm. you know, there was a period of time for most of our childhood where we would listen to those songs, but we would listen on the radio. Mm -hmm. And so it's important to remember that this was before like Bluetooth and aux chords where you could just, you know, pop on whatever the new Cardi B song was, you were listening to the public radio, which was censored in itself. So Yeah, but I mean, a lot no, of... No, okay, yeah, but it's like still rap music. music. It's still rap music. Right, but I'm saying, like, I played for you guys music that was, like, on CDs and cassettes, which it was, like, the ex- it was explicit lyrics when you were really young. So did I... Somewhat, <laughs> somewhat, and I mean, like... Did it have... Okay, let me ask yeah. you this. When you have kids, yeah, how will you handle that? I think I'm going to do the same thing. They can listen to music as long as they understand that there are certain words that are adult words, and I'm not going to expose them to the worst of the worst. Like, there are different levels within rap. Like, there are different songs within different artists. Like, I know that I'm not going to be playing DaBaby or 21 Savage for my children. What? Not right at first. When they're like 13, I'll be like, here's what y'all were missing out on. You'll wait till they're 13? I'll wait till they're a little bit older. Oh, you're you're better. There, okay, well, you there are, are some than, there are some lines. Did you ever think like were you ever listening to lyrics as a kid and thinking like what is my mom thinking? No, no, I was also extremely innocent. So still I are. still am. So like I would hear lines and I'd be like, like I don't know what that means. Like yeah. even in like there's like that one song Fergie for Galicious where it's like they buy me all these ices and. It was funny because me and CJ thought ICs were like the ICs you get at 7-Eleven. 
<laughs> like that's how innocent we were. So a lot of it was innocent. So we would just hear these words and we, we wouldn't know what they meant. I don't think it had much of an impact on me other than the fact that I love that music today. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm so glad that you put me onto that music and I'm so cultured rather than just being like listening to Red Hot Chili Peppers all day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No offense to Red Hot Chili right, Peppers. Right, but I mean, a lot of people, like my friends included, their kids only listen to Disney in the car or Christian rap, which is great, but I don't know. Like, it was such a big part of dress and culture yeah. and just growing up, music was everything for me. I worked in a record store. I wanted to be a DJ. I mean, I learned to mix music. Like, music was freaking everything, and I just taught them from an early age, like, these are performers. They don't really mean what they're saying. They're not really doing these things. It's an art. And these are adult words and you can't say them. Mm -hmm. And there are words even in songs. Now, I won't say the actual word because yeah. it's not my story. It's not my art, but I still enjoy listening to it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I have another thing that was very impactful from growing up. Mm -hmm. And that was, and you'll know this one instantly, is that you asked me questions and you weren't satisfied with nonspecific responses. And what I mean by that is if mm -hmm. I got home from school and you were like, how was your day? I couldn't just say good and go to my room. Mm -hmm. I couldn't just, or like if my friend came over and they were, and you were like, oh, so uh, what'd you guys do today? I don't know. Hung out. Like we couldn't just give this nonspecific, you know, typical teenager response that was just like to get out of having to answer questions and talk to adults. But from a very young age, when you asked us questions, you expected us to respond and have a conversation mm -hmm. and like talk. And so that both helped kind of like I talked about earlier, being independent and speaking to adults because we learned to speak to you. It helped us learn to be able to like have more confidence in social settings or for on a date or if, and I'm speaking for Sierra a little bit here, or if we're <laughs> uh, speaking for us both, or, you know, if we're in a classroom setting or with coaches and someone asks us a question to actually have a thoughtful response. Mm, mm, that's interesting. I didn't do that intentionally. I'm just very curious. Mm -hmm. So those questions, when you guys would say something like, nothing's wrong or fine, good. Oh, what's your friend like? He's nice. I wasn't prodding you so that you would give me a longer answer. I was mm. genuinely curious. So it's mm -hmm. interesting that that's how you interpreted that. I like that. Just looking back on it, that's how I interpreted mm -hmm. it. At the time, I was just like, my mom asks a lot of questions. Be ready. You tell that to your friends? I still do tell that to my friends. <laughs> just be ready, guys. She's going to ask you a lot of questions. And just so you know, if you want to be her favorite, answer them and be very honest. <laughs> Most of her favorites are my friends who have ended up in prison, but they're her favorites because yes. they've answered the questions. Yeah. Got to get deep with me. <laughs> that's funny. Okay. So that's interesting because my next one that I was really important to me was that you and your sister both had two things, emotional intelligence and empathy, which mm -hmm. I think go hand in hand. I think if you have emotional intelligence, you can't help but have empathy. And I knew that empathy led to kindness. Empathy led to grace. Empathy led to understanding. Mm -hmm. And that starts with an emotional intelligence where you're not just seeing the way someone behaves or the way that they react, but you're actually thinking about the context, like what have they been through? Mm -hmm. Why are they responding that way? And so even when you're really young, like kindergarten, I would talk to you about the ways somebody would respond or do mm -hmm. something. And I would explain to you their circumstances and their experiences so that you would understand why they did that. And from like a super young age, 
you would pick up on that and mm-hmm. and you would start to say, well, this person did this. And it's really, I think it's because they had a long day and I could then tell that you were tapping into that and I would praise it. And I was constantly telling you the thing that I wanted you to live up to, right? I would constantly say to you, Brock, you have an amazing grasp of what's going on with people emotionally and you have sympathy and empathy for that. And I would tell you from such a young age, this is going to serve you more than an IQ test, more than Mm -hmm. grades. The fact that you understand and have sympathy and empathy for people is going to make you successful at anything you do. I didn't know that you intentionally did that, but I'm very, very thankful that you did. And it makes total sense. Like it's kind of trippy makes total sense now, especially recently taking the Enneagram test and reading The Road Back to You, which is a book about the Enneagram. And in case anyone doesn't know what the Enneagram is, it's basically this old, you can think of it like a personality test, but it's based on Christian philosophy and Christian monks who kind of developed this. And it it's, goes much deeper than just your typical psychological test you find online. We could link to it in the show notes. <clears throat> Absolutely. We will do that. And I recently found out that I am a two, which is the helper. And the helper, as part of the feelings or the heart triad, and I know this is a little bit insider talk, but basically what that means is, as a two, I focus outwardly on the feelings of others. Mm. Uh, the two is also defined as like the helper. And I've known this from a very young age that looking outward, like I've always been inclined to think of the other people's feelings. And like, I even think about it, like the most clear example for me is driving. I am like the most patient driver wow. I think I've ever met. You got that from me then. I'm very like, patient. I'm, I'm very patient. I, I don't understand when people have road rage because my whole- Are you talking whole, about your father right now? Kind of dad, yeah. <laughs> but like if someone cuts me off, I say, ah, you know, maybe they had to get somewhere or I'm sure I did that to yes, someone else. Maybe it yes. was an accident or if someone's driving really slow, I'll think maybe they have their dog in the backseat. It's like, it's to a fault. Like, I don't say this to like pat myself on the back. Like, I know sometimes I do this to a fault in more than just driving situations, give people like too much, too much empathy and too much like, ah, maybe they're just having a bad day. Mm -hmm. But I like, I think the most clear example is in driving. Like Sierra says, I drive like an old man because I just let everyone merge and let everyone like, like Sierra's like, come on, cut them off. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I'm not used to driving in LA. Oh man, that is funny. Yeah. Okay, Brock, can you step out of the room? Because I've got like one more that I want you to come back in that I wanted to share with you. But I need to talk about something that is really just for the girls. So if you can step out, please. Uh, okay. One of my absolute favorite finds. It is Third Love, and it's where I get all my bras. Thirdlove.com. Now, I discovered Third Love kind of like you. I was listening to a podcast and I heard someone who I very much admire and I love her style and she never talks about something on her podcast that she doesn't believe in. And so I'm like, well, okay, I'll try it. So I tried Third Love Bras and I was sold. I was totally hooked. Third Love has data points. They use millions of different data points because of their client base or customer base and they have developed this fit finder quiz that allows you to find the perfect fitting bra and i'm not kidding you will they have more sizes than any other brand over 70 sizes and that includes their signature half cup sizes like hello 
Why hasn't another company figured that out? Every single customer also gets 60 days to wear the bra. You can wash it, you can wear it, you can put it to the test, you can see if you like it or love it, and you can return it if you don't. There's no one size that fits all. And right now they're offering my listeners 15% off your first order. So please go to thirdlove.com forward slash Shaleen and find your perfect fitting bra and you'll get 15% off your first purchase. All right, back to the show. Hey, okay, thank you for stepping out. Now, I have to get more than five, okay? okay. So here's my fifth one. <laughs> my fifth one is therapy. Uh, you know, uh, n- my parents were smart enough to put me into therapy when I was like in fifth or sixth grade. I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, you do. I got attacked by a dog and then I had a fear of dogs. I didn't know that. Really? No. You should ask your mom more questions. Okay. Yeah, I got attacked by a dog, and so my parents, that probably had some post-traumatic stress. So I was deathly afraid of loud noises and dogs, and really quickly, they had me see a therapist. And I thought I was so special because of that. Like, mm. And so then that always stayed with me, that that was a really good thing. And mm. I very quickly got over my fear of dogs, and so I saw how that like helped me in my life, and I wanted both you and your sister to experience that really young too, so that Mm. we could normalize, you know, going to the dentist was just as normal as going to a therapist. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how I think of it. It's interesting to hear how you think so positively of it. I never knew the backstory behind that, but I do remember going to therapy really young. I think, what age do you think that was? uh, Eight, Eight, seven or eight. Mm -hmm. Like when I was having sleeping issues, just to kind of figure out like why I was borderline OCD Mm -hmm. at that age. He was demonstrating, I felt like they were OCD-like tendencies. Like you had all these rules that you would start telling. And we're like, oh, isn't that cute? And then suddenly I'm like, this isn't actually that cute. He thinks he has to brush his teeth at 5.01 and then turn the light off three times or he's not going to fall asleep. Okay, this is not normal. We should have him talk to somebody. And you were also sleepwalking. Yeah, a lot. Mm -hmm. And your empathy was in overdrive. Like you would see a homeless man on the street. And you would talk about him for like a week. Well, right now, where do you think he is, mom? Does his family know where he is? Do you think that man has found a place to sit down? Like you would worry endlessly mm-hmm. and obsessively and to the point where we stopped ha- watching the news with you. Yeah, I remember that. You do? Oh, yeah, I remember you wouldn't let me watch the news or there was like certain shows you wouldn't let me watch or like. I remember when Power Rangers was threatened to be taken away. That was like, that was the straw that broke the camel's back in my young eyes. I was like, Power Rangers. Power Rangers got you into therapy. You're like, I'll go. (laughs) Okay, I'll go, I'll go. Yeah, I'm very appreciative for that. And I wish more kids and more adults, more human beings on earth could recognize the importance and the healthiness of therapy and of, yeah, working through those problems and those lowercase t traumas that we all have. How did you know about lowercase t? Eavesdropping on my episode with Michaela. I overheard it, but I've I've known that term. Oh, smarty pants. I've said to both you and Sierra, I will be happy with whoever either one of you decides to marry. The only prerequisite, the only thing that's going to matter to me is that you marry someone who's willing or who has been to therapy and is willing to continue going to therapy because that's someone who's like, I know I have room for growth. And I just don't want you to marry someone who's opposed to being a better human. Mm-hmm. We will now move to my fifth and mm-hmm. final thing. Mm-hmm. And that was, I've struggled to put like a bow on it, but it was basically about 
the value of priorities mm. and specifically how you put our family first mm -hmm. while still being able to work hard, like work really, really hard and accomplish so much and like live out all these dreams and goals that you had, but still maintaining your priorities and keeping us as your kids and as your family first. Mm -hmm. Always really admired that. <clears throat> and that's always been something that I have known I want to create in my own family. And even in high school or in college that I have tried to maintain with myself is putting my friends, my family, even my sport before things like my business or, or mm -hmm. you know, just work. Were you aware of how we did that? Or is this now as an adult, in retrospect, with all the information, you're aware of it today? Both. I think both. I think I'm much more able to articulate it now, especially now that we've talked about it more. And in hindsight, I've been able to like see patterns more. But even in the in the moment, I would appreciate things like little things like, well, when we would hang out, my friends, we would usually go to our house because mm -hmm. my parents were home. And you guys created an environment that was very safe and protecting. While other friends, maybe both their parents were gone or one of the parents was gone. Or, you know, I, I valued like the fact that someone would always drive me to school and someone would always pick me up like one of you guys. Mm -hmm. or someone would always drive me to and from school while other kids would have, you know, they'd walk to school or their one parent would drive them and then they'd have to stay in the after school program and wait for their parents to be off work or whatever it may be. I just always really valued the fact that you and dad were always so available for Sierra and I. Mm. That's nice to hear. The last one, I, I guess, is a bonus point, is about we try to really be very conscientious about body image mm. and health. Number one, because of the industry I worked in, I was always worried that you two would misinterpret what I had to do. Like in my job, in my business, in my career, a lot of recognition went to people who were doing my programs and lost weight or, you know, like those are the people who were celebrated because they were transformations. And my job was to help people lose weight. And I always feared what message that would send to you and to Sierra. So we would intentionally talk openly about people who were taking that too far or people who thought that that was the only thing that was important. And, you know, we don't have to name names, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I would openly talk about not having food rules and try to teach you guys about like what made you have more energy. And as much as I knew about nutrition at the time, I tried to share that with you guys, but I would never shame you. And I would never say you can't eat this or you can only eat that. I tried to let you make the right decisions. And Sierra definitely, you know, probably became a healthier eater than anybody in our home. Mm -hmm. There was never any shame or I hope not. I mean, I hope you didn't pick up on any of that. Like, I really wanted you guys to have a healthy relationship with food and exercise and see those things as the way that you honor God's gift. You know, the way that you honor your health is by taking care of it, but not obsessing about it. Yeah, I feel like this would be a better thing to talk about with Sierra mm -hmm. being a, a girl and, and all that's put on teenage girls and young girls in our society, because I never really felt that. And I was probably the worst eater in our family. Right. Like, you know. You still are. Still am. Like, growing up, every single meal out, there was a dessert. For you. For me. For me. Like, I'd, and it was always the chocolate lava cake with the vanilla ice cream on top, mm -hmm. destroying my stomach. Even to this day, like, I love donuts. I love pie. But I also know now that, like, I know what I'm able to fuel my body with and what I'm allowed to, you know, treat myself to because of how hard I work. Yeah. And you also, <clears throat> you make 
what I like to say, you're not a clean eater. Yeah. You are not an intuitive eater. You are an informed eater. Like yes. you, you will say, like, I'm only eating grass-fed, grass-finished beef. You spend your own money to buy the highest quality ingredients. Mm-hmm. You cook for yourself. You cook for your roommates. But then you'll also say, all right, I'm home and I've got to go get sidecar donuts. Yes. And you're like, and it's going to kill my stomach and I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Because I find a lot of joy in that. I like, I love cooking for myself and now my palate has matured so much and I like all these vegetables and like broccoli is like one of my favorite things. But I also recognize that 90% of the time I eat better than all of my teammates and all of my friends. And that's because like you said, I'm an informed eater. Mm -hmm. And because of that, you know, I can go get an apple pie and know that like it's, I'm sure it might affect my stomach a little bit, but it's not going to have that much of an, you know, long-term impact because it's not a, a habit that I eat every single meal. And you still have abs. Yeah, I do. But, and like, even like in high school, I would eat like Kraft mac and cheese, all <laughs> like, just, just like Horrible. mashed potatoes for yes, dinner, yeah, like, yeah. and a you giant like 3,000, 3,000 calorie, that's not a joke, 3,000 calorie protein shake. And I think a lot of that time was, I was just trying to gain weight too yeah, for football. yeah. yeah. But I know I never really had body image issues. And part of that is probably like the confidence you gave me. And I think part of that is also just society doesn't shame the male body. I mean, think about one of the best male bodies you could have in 2019 is a dad bod. It is? People are like, oh, I love dad bods. Yeah. For real? Girls are like, no, girls like dad bods. Some do. What is a dad bod? It's like a little bit of a gut. Like you wear like the dad shoes. You got like... You're like a bigger guy. Like you're not a skinny, like 20 something year old. You're, you're kind of a man. Like you got a dad bod. Not everyone loves it, but there's definitely factions of people who enjoy dad bods. I did not know that. You learn something (laughs) new every time your kids come home. Okay. But more so about the body image is I wonder at what age you remember me telling you, like scaring you saying like, you will never comment on your sister's body or any other woman's body. Mm. Like we are not to use the F word. Do you remember that? Fat. Yeah. No, I, um, very young, very young. Like, you know, if Sierra was like trying out a new outfit or, you know, whatever, it was always like, we don't use that word. Like it was almost like the word fat and skinny and, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and just comments on the body were way more censored in our household than, Rap lyrics. <laughs> For sure. Oh, my God. That's so true. Brock and I were walking into a bookstore. Do you remember this? No. And there was this giant family walking in in front of us. Like, it was four people who were clearly, each one of the family members was at, at a minimum 100 pounds overweight. At a minimum. You were like four. And you looked at me and you go, Mom, <laughs> look at those people. They're really fat people. And I said, Brock, we do not use that word. Where did you learn that word? We do not use that word. He goes, okay, mom, what word do we use if someone has a big, big body? (laughs) I don't really remember that story. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't a coherent human being yet. I was just (laughs) learning to speak English, but. Kids say the funniest things. uh, Yeah. What do you say? But yeah, those were really important. And I think because of that, like it was incredibly important that we never talked about people's bodies. We talked about being strong, being fast, being healthy, being whatever, flexible, but we never talked about big, small, lose weight, gain weight. Those things were just, you were not to mention them in our household, especially around girls. And so I feel like because of that, you're, I don't know, I I guess what I'm saying is like, I tend to think you are going to be less judgmental. 
you know, like, I don't have to worry about you dating someone and making an inappropriate comment oh, yeah, about no, her. Oh, yeah, no, no, never. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. I think that's probably the most, the area of my life where it's most evident is in dating and, like, I'm not going to, like, some of my friends will, to not, but I'm not going to name names, obviously, but some of my <laughs> friends will say things to their girlfriends like, oh, it looks like you haven't been to the gym in a while. And oh, I'm like, punch what? Yeah. What did you just say to her? And she oh. didn't beat your ass? And you didn't, like, what, dude? Yeah. That's not okay. That's not okay. Oh, good. Like, but. Not going to name names. <laughs> <laughs> and they probably don't listen to my, my no, podcast anyways. No, no. That's funny. Oh, this is a good time. Good time. If you enjoyed this interview with my son, Brock Johnson, I hope that you are subscribed to the podcast we do together every week. That's called Build Your Tribe. We do two episodes a week, mm-hmm. Tuesday and on Thursday. And, you know, we kind of have a different perspective, too. Yeah, we do, because you have been in the business world for basically double my lifespan double your lifespan simmer down (laughs) just about but i am a relatively new entrepreneur i'm definitely a young entrepreneur i'm only part-time i'm 22 years old and yeah and i have learned to grow my income and grow my business on basically a part-time schedule i have Mm -hmm. my full-time job is being a college student athlete with classes and football practice and all that comes with that and just being a 22-year-old kid and still living life, I've learned to balance that with my business. So that's kind of my perspective and learning about all these things and doing my first ever launch and creating my first ever offers. So I'm kind of at the stage that many, many, many entrepreneurs and new business owners on social media are at. And you have a little bit more of an experienced viewpoint and more of a mentorship viewpoint. And so we're able to talk about new trends on social media, business tips, advising, all this great stuff. And it's twice a week. So it's really fun. And of course, not every episode is like together like this. Some are me solo or you solo or us doing it together. So it's very, very fun. And I think it's important to mention because it is a big deal, I think, because most people say, I do need extra money. I just don't have any extra time to create anything. And that is hard for me to overcome that objection because people know I work my business full time. So when someone's like, you know, I've got little kids or maybe I have little kids and a full time job and, and, and there's no time. Yeah, I need extra money. Yes, I would love to do my own thing, but there's no time. I have been there, but Brock is there now and he's been able to create six figures last year, six Mm -hmm. figures with a very part time schedule. And that is actually what you're helping people with now is helping people to learn how it's not about necessarily getting a lot more time. It's what you do with that time. So can you tell us a little bit about your your new course? Yeah. So I just released a course. It's available for $25 and it's called the Focus Formula. And it's basically the 11-step process that I follow to create, whether it's a new podcast, create a new course, launch a business, basically my hacks and strategies and tips that I practice on a daily basis that have allowed me to be able to create this life that I really want to live, to be able to do things like stay up, you know, and watch Netflix and play Fortnite with my roommates and still also spend four hours a day practicing football and working out and having classes every day and creating a six-figure business. Mm-hmm. Like when I tell people this, I was talking to our good friend, Sean Cannell the other day, and he was like, dude, I want to punch you in the face. <laughs> and I was like, check out the focus formula and you'll see like, this is how I've made yeah. it happen. So yeah. it's definitely a process, but I've learned through this process, like what works, what doesn't work, how to prioritize, how to budget and schedule your time, 
learning to say no, learning to outsource and delegate. And so all of that is involved in the focus formula. And that also is down below this episode. And the website for that is focusformulacourse.com. I will have to say, as you've been developing this, it has been remarkable to watch and how much more you get accomplished. Like as you've been developing these techniques and things that you teach inside this course, which by the way, for $25, that should be mandatory. Yeah, I, I had right? someone message me after the first day and they're like, dude, did you make a mistake? Like this should be worth at least double. And I was like, nah, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with where it's That's at. That's my advice to you. You should <laughs> up your prices. Brock is the least stressed out individual I know. And it is because of this, the formula that he follows. And it's a formula that allows him during the football season. I think I've mentioned this before. He completely comes off of social media. He doesn't do anything with his business, doesn't do anything with social media. So he can focus on what is important to him in that season, which is the football season. And, mm -hmm. and so to learn those strategies, check out the link below or go to the website, which again is focusformulacourse.com. Brock Johnson, I love you. I love you too, Mom. And we love you guys. Thanks so much for listening. We appreciate it. Don't forget to leave us a message. Let us know what you thought about this episode. Take a screenshot of it. Tag Brock11. The 11's always in the middle. Brock11Johnson. And of course, I'm at Shaleen Johnson. And let us know what you enjoyed about this episode. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Today's review by Nelster81, titled Love It. This podcast is such a refreshing part of my day. Shaleen has done her research and she loves sharing it with us. Thank you for your tireless effort to help people commit to true health and wellness.